All right, welcome to this episode of Rise and Shine. I am your host, John Wade. This episode is brought to you by absolutely no one in particular. There's no sponsors for the podcast. So if you know someone who might like this episode, please share it with them. Our guest today is Laura Herrera. She is a multi-time entrepreneur and businesswoman from Colombia. Also worked in innovation consulting. Please join us for this discussion. Here we go. Okay. Laura Herrera, welcome to the show. Thank you. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. I'm so happy you're here and we're looking been looking forward to doing this podcast today. So, Laura, you grew up in Colombia. You've had multiple businesses. You've worked in innovation consulting and you just finished your MBA here in Montreal. Could you give everyone a little brief introduction on on who you are and how you came to where you are today let's start from the beginning wherever you think that is okay so i guess the beginning is where i was born i was born in medellin colombia in 1989 as you know uh, at that time or maybe you don't like medellin was considered the most dangerous city in the world Mm. and but it was home so we grew up there. It was, uh, it was. I had a great childhood. I was. I'm really lucky. I had a great life there. Uh, did you notice? Can, sorry. Did you notice uh, that aspect of Medellin when you were growing up, like the dangerous aspect of it? Did you feel it? No, because well, you're born in there, so you just live with it. You don't know anything else. So it's your life, right? You you cannot compare it with anything. It's like. Uh, I always say, like, I don't have siblings, so I don't know what it's like to have a brother, so I don't miss it. Right. But if I had it and you lose it, <laughs> it's a different thing, right? Like, <laughs> Would you, was there a time where you realized that other cities were not like Medellin? Yeah, well, you, you always, you definitely get stressed by the fact that, uh, well, I was really, first of all, I was really, really young. I was like two, three years old when that, all these mess was happening. So, I was not aware of the situation. Now I understand it. I'm like, I always tell my parents like, wow, you're, you're really brave to stay there. Mm. Uh, but when you're two, three years old, you just, you're just not aware of the situation. So you just live with it and you don't really stress about it. We've, uh, we've talked about Colombia a lot and I, I really want to go visit. What do you think? Is there a, a, maybe a major misconception that people have about Colombia in, in 2020? I guess the biggest misconception is that people still have that image of what Colombia was 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Mm. What you, because of, I guess, well, many people knew about Colombia and especially about Medellin because of the show Narcos. And all, although most of the story is true, it's the reality of the city 30 years ago. So when you go there right. now, it's a completely different story it's a, because, well, the city had a major transformation and even the country has developed a lot. So I think that's the biggest surprise. Right. You had told me a lot about that, that people's perception is of that. And you told me a lot that I didn't know about actually, because I only learned stuff from documentaries and I learned stuff I didn't know about Pablo Escobar that you told me about. So I thought he was, there were people that liked him, but you, you said that there's a, a good enough population in Colombia that didn't like his effect on the country. Can you talk about that? Yeah, well, I will compare it. Uh, maybe it's easier to understand with some someone like Hitler, for example. There's obviously Nazis that still like him and still believe in what he did. 
but most of the people believe and know that he was like a, a really dangerous person. He was like a mean person. He was not a good, did not good for the city, did not good for the people. So yeah, definitely you can find people that support him and like, especially like uh, because he did a, like a few things for, for really poor people. He built some like houses and stuff but everybody does in Colombia. That's what you don't know. Like most of the people are actually like that. So it's, mm, I mean, most of the people that are doing maybe criminal activities are, are actually giving back to poor communities. Uh, most of the people that is wealthy in Colombia, actually, like ah, okay. uh, you feel a huge responsibility when you have like a certain amount of money because, uh, well, you know, the government's not going to do it. So, uh, most companies, most people that are wealthy, families that are wealthy, they you feel the responsibility with it. Like even my family, since I was a kid, they they always tell you like you have, you always try to donate or do something uh, mm. for others. Uh, so I guess it's in our nature. Right. And you told me I thought it was interesting. I hadn't heard about that before. You told me about the there was like a a numbers system that that designated what kind of class people were in and that gave them access to certain social services or not is that is that right yeah it's a little bit like it's like the city is like kind of segregated i would say so there's zones in there are certain zones in the city all right the zones zones. right 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 it has a number from one to six so zone one will be uh, the poorest zone six will be like the wealthiest and so there are zones that are one or two or three or four or five and the zones uh, four five six pay for everything uh, for zone one two three so well not everything but they give a subsidy so you have to pay extra uh, to give a subsidy to these regions for example if you pay for water you don't pay for just water but your water plus i don't know 30 or 40 percent plus so you like a 40 a 40 percent tax Exactly, but it's not it's not taxes, just you pay for them, uh, some like services, especially electricity and water and like this type of services. So it doesn't appear as a tax, you're just paying 40% more because cause you, you're in that zone. Exactly. exactly. Ah, and so obviously and you pay more form- taxes. Yeah, so basically, depending on the zone, starting the number three is like the middle ground. So you just pay for yours. Then number two, you pay less for yours. You just pay a portion of it. Then number one, you just pay a minimum portion of what you should pay. And then four, five, six, you pay extra, like four a little bit, five a little bit more, and six, you pay the highest rate because you're subsidizing one and two. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's obviously a form of socialism with with actual zones, but Canada is socialist as well. I know we got derailed here. So you're saying you grew up in Colombia, uh, <laughs> and then it was it was it was violent at the time, and uh, then I interrupted you. So then what happened? Uh, so well, then uh, finally, well, Pablo died, and like the whole city started a huge transformation. Um, Medellin now uh, started. In, when I was born, basically, it was the most dangerous city. And like five years ago or six years ago, something like that, I don't remember the exact date, won this, the award of the most innovative, innovative city in mm. the world. So that's a huge transformation in around 20 years from and the you, most dangerous to the most innovative city. 
plus you worked in innovation consulting in Colombia, right? Yeah, well, it, yeah, it, because the city is investing a lot on, a lot, a lot on it, in it, but uh, because I was an entrepreneur, basically. So when I was doing my undergrad, I decided to, with my dad and I, my, like, my, a few, uh, how do you say it, like, uh, business partners, investors. Friends. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. With a few friends, we started a company. That's okay. Uh, for the audience, for... for the audience, it's <laughs> important to note that Laos speaks like four languages, three languages at least, Lao. How many? Three plus uh, one? Spanish, German, English, and I'm trying to figure out French. Yeah. <laughs> so your first business was during your undergrad or right after? Can you tell us? Uh... It was oh, yeah, during my undergrad, during the last two years of my undergrad. Uh, some friends came to us, to my dad and me. And they were like, hey, we're thinking about, well, the guy was from New York. Uh, so he was like, hey, I, had, I talked to this guy who has this business in New York. He play, basically like has advertising on, on, the, on taxes. You know, on top of the, on top of the cab, you, have, you probably have seen it. If you've ever been to New York, you just see the, the advertising on top of them. Right. So he met him and he was like, well, he's like, he's like rich he has this business like yeah nobody's doing it in colombia and i talked to him he explained me the whole business model and i want to do it here so we were like okay let's like at the beginning it was more like we will be just investors and they will develop the whole idea uh, right. but then it became we became highly involved because well first of all he was in new york so he couldn't spend the time here and was he was he colombian He's Colombian, yeah, but he lives in New York, like, and he has a su super successful cafe there. Okay. So. And why did they come to you? Why did he come to you in the first place? Because, because one, I guess you were kind of friends or connected and two, because they, he believed uh, in, in yours and your family and your father's maybe business skills that he, he felt like you were the right people to go to. It's funny. He came to us, well, because of my cousin. So he's a really good friend of my cousin. My cousin, he's a lawyer. So and he was like, he had talked to my cousin because he needed a lawyer for for the business. So, hey, I want to, he suggested him to be a partner and my, my cousin accepted. And then my cousin was like, well, we need investors. And I know some, like maybe my dad could invest. And also my dad was like, well, if I'm going to invest in this, I don't, I cannot uh, put time on it, but my daughter can, and she's studying business. So she should just, well, we, we go as, as a couple. Right. Yeah. So you said, so it was supposed to just be investment, but then things changed and you, you ended up running it. How did, how did that happen? Well, uh, I was the only one, I was a student back then. So me and my cousin, like he was a lawyer, but he works for himself. Like he was, a, a, he were, he was working for himself basically. So we both had the time and to, to spend on this, like to actually do it. Like at the moment I was still a student, but I, it was like, not that, I still had spare time to do this. So I just did it. And during my vacation and everything, I was just working on this. And we started developing the whole idea. It was a lot of learning. This took a long learning curve because <laughs> first of all, none of us had worked in advertising. None of us knew the laws about for like for advertising. None of us had experience commercializing this, and none of us had knew enough about media and how it works in Colombia. So, so you were all completely we, new, 
completely new to it, which do you think that was because there's, a, there's some people that I've heard talk about that, that they actually purposefully try to hire people for their startups that are, that don't have any experience in the industry because they look at problems in a completely new way. Do you think that was helpful for your business or detrimental? Detrimental, I would say. Really? Because, yeah, well, I understand why you will hire someone from outside if you already know your industry. For example, if I already know the industry, it, it could be a good idea to bring someone that from another industry to give me a new perspective. But right. if nobody knows about this industry, then learning, you pay it with your own money. Right. Right. And like the moment you start a business, it starts, you start with cost. You start having costs. So you that learning curve, all that, uh, all that information you need to gather, all that understanding, you're going to pay for it. And I think that was the first mistake we made. Yeah. So there's so many things I want to explore here. So what was first, what were, what were like the literally the first few steps that you did when you said like, okay, I'm going to work on this now, especially coming from a position where you didn't have a, a business yet. So what were the first few steps? And, and two, what, what were some of the big uh, mistakes that you made that maybe people could learn from? <laughs> well, definitely. This, first of all, I want to say this was the best university I ever had. Mm, because the business, even the business was. The business, yeah. Right. The business was the best university I ever had. I learned so much. <laughs> so, yeah, the first mistake, well, what we did first was my cousin started analyzing if it was legal, of course. Like, he was like, okay, trying to figure out if it was legal and how much it will cost. Once right. we realized, yes, it is legal, uh, we started um, we started looking for, uh, sorry, uh, distraction here. <laughs> that's okay is it the cat uh, so once we realized it was we legal, can uh, we can put we did a financial oh? we can we can always edit we can uh, you can put it on pause if you have to do something oh no it's not it's okay okay so you did it you did a assessment and you realized it was legal yeah and then the obvious thing was okay let's do the financial <laughs> like let's see if we can get money out of it so we were like, okay, we were estimating, okay, we're going to sell it at this and we're going to make this much. We're going to give the, the taxi driver this much and the taxi owner this and blah, blah, blah. So we created the whole model and we basically uh, run the numbers on it to mm -hmm. see if we can make money out of it. And for that, and then we, for that, it's literally just an Excel file, right? You're, you're using exactly. Microsoft Excel. And exactly. We just did like, well, it's a brainstorming in Excel basically because you say, okay, this is how we're going to do it. This is the model, blah, 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 blah. blah. And we run the Excel and we say, okay, oh my God, we're going to be millionaires. This is perfect. Let's do it. Yeah. We were like, this has huge margins and blah. So, yeah. So then we were like, okay, we need to actually create, like either import the infrastructure for the, for the taxis where we're going to put the advertising. Right? right. The actual physical piece. That you exactly. Put the so wait, I have, a, I have an interesting uh, a question and it, it had such great margins because was it because that companies would pay so much to have their ad on the, on the taxi and, and taxi drivers given their, their average wages, you didn't have to compensate them that much for them to be interested. Is that why there was such a big margin? Yes. And because we were comparing them, well, what we did is like, uh, we took an example of uh, another, you know, the bus stops where they, there's advertising on bus stops. Right. Right. Yeah. So we basically took the price of those and we say, ah, okay, okay. Uh, they, we were say, okay, they are charging, I don't know, like a hundred bucks for those. 
Right. And we said, oh, and that's one meter per, I don't know, two meters, something like that, whatever. Okay. And we basically reduced to our size. So we say, okay, if it's ours, it's this size and it's two-sided, this is how much we should charge for it, more or less. We could charge for it, more okay. or less. Okay, okay. So, yeah, and the, and the taxi drivers, we were compensating them, but it was good enough for them, but it, still the margins were pretty big. Like, at media, it's, it's highly paid, so we were like, it, it gave us like a, a big enough margin for us to, gotcha. to believe that we were going to be millionaires. <laughs> <laughs> millionaires in six months. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. So you said that the next step was figuring out what you were actually going to put on top of the taxi. Yeah. So we're like, okay, we, let's do it. This, this is interesting. It is legal. So uh, now we have to make it happen. So we start like, uh, we say, okay, what, where are we going to put place the the advertising and then we realized the first mistake is that uh, cabs in colombia high well way smaller than the cabs in the u.s really yeah yeah they're like tiny tiny compared to them and the second of all uh, cabs in the u.s they already have that culture that it's okay to like to put something on top of the of the cab like they just agree to it and they literally open a hole through the through the roof of the cab and they're okay with it but when we talked to taxi drivers in colombia they were like there's no way you're gonna damage my car like <laughs> uh, so you had to educate you had to educate the the audience they actually so they would cut so hold on do taxi drivers in colombia do they own their car or do they lease it or it depends uh, well there's a guy well there's guys that own like a bunch of them for example right. there's one in bogota that owns like i i would say at least 60 percent of the cabs with the whole city so okay and then they're employees there are yeah and they are just employees basically how it all works is that a a taxi driver says okay i'm gonna make 80 bucks a day for me and the mm -hmm. rest whatever i make extra I know they, they, the taxi owner says you have to yes. give me okay. 50, $50 a day and right. then whatever you make extra is yours. Right. Something like yeah. that. Kind of like a rent model. I think there's a lot of cities in the world where it looks, where it works like that. Yeah, it works like that. And so we were going to pay both. We're, uh, no, we were going to pay the taxi owner. Right. And taxi so many said, get out of here. You're not damaging my taxi. Yeah, and they said like there's no way you're gonna you're gonna damage my taxes. So we had to figure out a new way to to put to place the advertising without like actually making a hole in the taxi. So that research took like a long time until we finally found a 3M had a solution, a, a great solution. They have tapes that are like stronger than than like anything that like you can basically build buildings and like windows with just tape like it's that oh, okay. strong yeah so you taped it on top we taped it on top we we had to run some tests we had to make sure that it was not gonna if they crash it's not gonna go and like kill somebody or something like that uh, hmm. so, it so how did you how did you run that test <laughs> did, you, did you crash a taxi cab for that <laughs> No, we just paid like an engineer and he runs some like 3D models on his computer. And oh, wow. Okay. So you really and everything. tried yeah. to test it. Yeah, yeah. You have to like, we, we will, well, you have to be responsible. At the end, this is going to be on top of like a moving object. So you have to be responsible. And imagine like you build all this thing and then something happens and all your 
image goes to waste and right. basically media you leave out of your image so so then it worked finally we did it but it took like six months of developing this okay and what we will, we were developing we were talking to media companies to see if they were interested like they were like yeah it's interesting but i'm not sure i'm not sure so it was it was hard because at one point we realized we were competing because of we didn't know who we were competing with so after a while you realize you're actually competing with tv and you're actually competing with radio right because the because the the owners are already spending money on tv and radio exactly and because of the huge range of this so when you put something when you want to do advertising caps you just don't buy one you buy for example 50 or 100 caps right right uh, because that will give you enough exposure in that city uh, so you need a minimum amount so it, it doesn't the message is not lost uh, and once and and you get a, like enough people will see it but then you start competing with radio which is basically local advertising so you're competing with it's the same thing, like the same amount you will spend on radio because it's a city. You say, okay, I want to advertise Montreal. So it's like you go either radio or you go cabs like taxis. Right. Okay. So you're competing with them. Yeah. So once you realize that and how big they are and how they, they, they own the, all the media in, in, the, in the country. So there are like two major companies in Colombia that own basically most, well, well, they own most of the media. So we're competing with two giants. As, as, as two new entrepreneurs. Yeah, <laughs> we, we knew more. Well, like as you learn, like you learn fast because you're learning with your money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, uh, you, uh, you said that to me before. That's, uh, so what happened uh, well, then? I, did, you have, did you have contacts to get to, like, did you partner with those companies or did you compete against them? No, you, we started competing with them. We started, like, uh, visiting, like, the media centers. We started having a relationship with them. We started visiting them and, I, like, we'll bring presents. We'll bring, like, chocolate. We're, like, really? Oh, it's B2B, but it's personal relationship. That's another thing. Like, it's something you, like, when you're trying to sell to a company, even if B2B, you're selling to a person. So you so, started figuring out who the right person in these big companies was to talk to and try to find them at events and talk to them and bring them stuff so that they would talk to you. Yeah, exactly. And you just, they, they give you an appointment, you just come, you have to smile, you have to do all the right things, you bring them like presents, like, because you <laughs> want to establish a, you, you have to establish a relationship that, so they trust you enough to put money in you like nobody was ever a uh, fire because of working with i don't know uh, uh, apple but if someone takes the risk and like uh, i decided to go with these two entrepreneurs someone might get fired if it's right true. yeah because it's risky yeah. from from yeah i see what you're saying and it's true that gift giving culture is there's there's cultures around the world where gifts are a lot more common or normal or expected than they are maybe in parts of north america yeah so yeah we, you just start developing the relationship and at the end they give you a chance like that we started having like they started giving us the chance and so like and here's a also, small here's a small contract so let's see what you exactly can exactly like okay this is a small contract here's a small contract but we realized that big corporations like 
uh, more international were more willing to put money on this because well they had the example from other parts of the of the of the world for example new york so for example one of our first uh, customers was coca-cola that's that's crazy one of your first customers was coca-cola so it was yeah. and coca-cola were they they were in colombia but they hadn't considered Wait, well, nobody, explain how that's possible that that as a new new ish entrepreneurs one of your first customers is coca-cola did you get a connection with them yeah well basically these major companies they all hire a, like a media center for, for this media center to to buy their advertising like to spread like they just give them like okay here's like a million dollars and you just you just spread, spread it, it as you want yeah right. like so they will say okay this portion to TV, this portion to radio, this portion to extras or something. So they decided to give us a chance. They were like, okay, they, their client is willing to, to take the risk. Uh, plus they saw like how it looks on the taxi. We took pictures of how it will look on the taxi. We will like basically pre-create the, the campaign for them to make it more attractive. Uh, and they said, okay. Convert them in nice. their mind. Right. <laughs> exactly. And they're like, oh, this looks nice. It looks interesting. So they we started with their... Uh, they had a water, like a, a brand of water, bottled water. Okay. So that was like one of the first ones we got. So and that was like, that must have been a, a high point in the roller coaster ride? Exactly, because it gives you credi credibility. So once you say, hey, Coca Cola, hire me, and you can bring actually pictures of their campaign, you say, mm. hey, like now other companies are willing to do it. Like, like, hey, if they did it and it looks nice, so I'm going to do it. Or people that see your adverti advertising from, their competitors on, on taxes they're like hey now i'm interested like i want to do that too like and then the ball starts rolling basically exactly so what 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 happened from there to the point where you maybe i don't i don't even know i think you told me the story of how it how it ended after but what happened from there to the point where you decided that you could could not continue on the business cuz as we know the roller coaster goes up and down for for startups so well the initial idea was that at the beginning we will we will, we had an initial budget that we will spend on building up the the initial stage of the company we will run like and once we got the first contract we knew we might we needed more money so because the first portion of the money was not enough to cover if we got like a huge contract so we had like our first contract and we knew we needed the money. And, and the extra money was to like to like pay rent and salaries or to like the the actual stuff that goes on top of the taxi. Everything. We had to have like uh, we had well at this point we had like a team of five people that was on our we were paying for their salaries. Right. So we right. had one person that was in charge of the logistics, like to actually place the advertising on the taxis. We had a commercial girl. She was like basically visiting like media centers and like uh, selling. Hmm. Uh, we had a, a secretary that was helping helping them both like uh, with their like meetings and everything. And we had like some uh, guys that will help us like place like uh, place the advertising on the cab like do the how do you call it. Like an installation or like the physical? Yeah, installation. Yeah, the physical installation. And, and how old were you at the time when you had five employees? I was 21, 20, 21. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some of the things that we see sometimes, I think, is that when 
sometimes when younger people start businesses, one of the reasons why they might fail is that they're so young. But one of the reasons why they might succeed is that they're so young because they simply cannot conceptualize sometimes how difficult it might be. So they just start and then they just keep going. Yeah, I, yes, I think for us, it was not, we knew there was a, it was more like lack of knowledge on the industry. That was the first big cost. Mm. And the second, well, the second mistake that I think was a, well, there many, there were many mistakes, but I think the second was like a, underestimate, like underestimating the importance of actually spending time instead of money. Mm. So you spend, uh, you is, spend money a bit too quickly, is it you're saying? You thought like if you solve, you have the money solved, you have the everything else solved. And no, I, I, I will say it's 50-50. Even if you have a huge investment, if you don't spend it all the time, if you're not there full, like, like as a full, at, at least at the beginning, you have to be full time there. Right. And I, I no, none of us was there full time. I was still a student, so I could, I, I could partially be there. My dad was still working. And he was the most experienced of us, but he was working. He was basically like, I trust you. So he was not uh, that involved. And my cousin was there, but he was a lawyer. So he was like a lawyer, but at the same time, he was doing his own, like, uh, his own stuff. stuff. And the other partner was in New York. So even though he knew the model, he was, he had no experience in this. He didn't know about this and he didn't spend the time on this. So we thought like, okay, we can basically build the staff and pay them and they should be able to run this. <laughs> to like, figure it out, yeah. And that's not how it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I, I, I started spending more time there and like my dad was a little bit more involved, he started actually working. But uh, that was a model that was not going to work because my dad was not never going to quit his job and mm. I still had to graduate. So, so at a certain point, things everyone was pulled in different directions and things no, just became... Everyone was pulled and uh, we were basically surviving all the time. So once we got the first contract, uh, everybody, everything was amazed. Like even if you had those pre those uh, months for preparation, I think uh, we didn't, we were not as prepared as we thought. Like uh, we had to run a lot. We we managed to make them happen. We made them happen, but it cost it cost us a lot. And we when when we needed the money, there was another partner that was supposed to inject money to the business at that moment, and he never did. Right. So that was a big, I guess, blow to the business. So that was that's I think that's when it, it all went down because we started like we it damaged the the trust we had uh, with him. And it damaged the whole situation because now they were like, okay, so we need the money. We have to sell. Like we have, we already sold. We have the contract. We have to make it happen. Right. You guys as a business had already sold and you were going to your, to the investors and you were saying we need the money that you had said that you would be contributing. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the money never came and the contract was there. We have to make the contract happen. So we were like, we have to run this and we have to run this now. So uh, we have to, at the end, my dad was like, okay, I'm going to put, like, I'm going to, like, I'm going to be the investor. But if I'm going to be the investor, like, I want more shares. This is not going to be for the same because I'm taking another risk. Right. 
So then the like it became like a negotiation between shareholders because they were like, no, we want to keep our same amount of shares. And we're like, okay, then you 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 give us the money. And they were like, no, we don't have the money. So we were like, well, if you don't have the money, but you want to keep the same amount of shares, this is not going to work, <laughs> right? So right, so yeah. If you're taking more risk, you want more shares, right? So we started like this come and go, come and go. At the end, we did we did invest more, but we lost a lot of a lot of time, and and the, this we have started having some friction between like shareholders, and I think that's what actually killed us. Like because before that, we we're learning, but we we're growing. We were selling, we were having contracts, we were like we were in a good spot and we were starting like to create this culture around this new media, this new advertising. But when you, when the shareholders don't get along and we just, it's, it's, it's not, you're not going to run a business where everybody's pulling on different directions. Right. That internal, internal friction. What was the amount of time from when you started to the idea to, to all the progression and to, to when you stopped working on it or to when the business stopped? From the idea, well, the whole uh, company was, uh, we run it for three years. So when we actually wrote the papers and we wrote the money and everything started when we hire people and we finished, it was three years. Three years. Wow. Okay. So what you do, what happened uh, after that? Well, I, after that, it was a tough decision. Well, first of all, after you spend three years in a company, it's tough to let it go and realize you have to let it go because it's like your baby. So it's your project, it's your baby, it's your money. So you're like, and plus, if it's good, like I thought at the moment, we all thought it was a good month. Uh, it was a good business because we managed to get money out of it. Right. So it's hard to decide to close something like that. But it was the best. My dad was like, like, uh, too stressed and like I would say like starting like to be too stressed and like the co like the co owners were also very stressed and like it was not a good position we had to close it anyway after that um, now can we can we take a take a just a two minute break Val? sure okay two seconds I will uh, get a little bit more water and be right back okay Lau I'm back so the business ended up shutting down and what did you do after that? So after that, I basically had to, I graduated from university and I had to look for a job, for a job. And so I started looking for jobs. I, it's funny because I didn't want to actually look for jobs. I was like still in denial, <laughs> but uh, my one friend told me like, Hey, you should go to this interview at this company. It was like an engineering company, like pretty old school engineering company, one of the biggest ones in Colombia. So I was like, why would I go there? Like that would sound super boring, mm -hmm. but luckily I ended up going and I met uh, the guy that interviewed me was a really cool guy. And he was like, basically saying like, Hey, I just got hired here for like, uh, to run the innovation uh, department here there's no innovation department so i have to actually create it and so this was a this someone. was an interview though right it was, it was an interview right okay and he was like i'm looking for someone to work with me 
So I was like, well, I don't know. Like I can tell, like the only thing I know about is my company. So we started talking about my entrepreneurship experience actually. And I told him like how much I learned right. from it. And it was, it was more like a conversation, like some, something similar to what we just had. Like we, I think we'd run right. out of like, uh, it was not the, the meeting was not going to be there, but we ended up there. Uh, so he liked me. He was like, I love your story. I love how much you learn from your entrepreneurship. And I think that's basically what I'm looking for. I, 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 because he was like, I need an entrepreneur. So basically I need to hire like someone that wants to create businesses for this business. That's what innovation is. So we need to create a department and create like, right. And work as entrepreneurs. And I was like, well, that sounds too good to be true. <laughs> I didn't even know that was a job. <laughs> that sounds cool. Let's do it. Yeah, I was like, you just create businesses, but someone with someone else's money. <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, so I was like, wow, this is cool. And lucky me, he hired me, he liked me. And this was like a, well, this is short, but it was like a three month interview process oh, okay. and at the end he decided to go with me and he, we started doing it like and i loved it since day, day one i loved innovation because it goes like if you're in if you like entrepreneurship there's it i think it's very likely that you will like innovation because it's basically that a little bit more structure because well big companies need structure for everything uh, but it is fun uh, it is fun a little bit more bureaucracy because you well you have to ask for money today everybody <laughs> but but it is it is a roller coaster too it is fun too you work with people from different like uh, from from every department you just get to know everybody in the company you get to know every process and uh, it's super super fun and you said what what did you tell me once that the workday starts you started seven thirty to six, seven to seven, eight to eight, what was it? Uh, well at that company it was more like seven it was seven to six, if I remember well. So you started you were six. at the office at seven AM? Seven, seven thirty, yeah. Yeah. Something yeah, that's like that. I, I mean, that, I mean, for some people that might sound normal, but I, I mean, I know for certainly for my experience, that's pretty early to be at the office. In Colombia, we tend to start early, especially in Medellin. We are known because we start early. Like, for example, my dad goes to the office at 6 a.m., for example, and many of his colleague, colleagues are there at that time. We, we are early workers. <laughs> but then you stop earlier too, right? We stop early. Well, uh, yeah, you, you, usually you try to start uh, like five so it's just but, just start at 6 a.m and finish at five like everyone else i guess some people work a lot past five but but okay still but I, I guess it's also cultural and also we waste a lot of money in the, in the office don't get me wrong like well I, many companies do. waste like, a lot of money and time you mean maybe it's yeah sorry time like you go for like you have a lunch like that it's long enough for you to go home you have lunch and then you come back right it's not like, like not like a half an hour lunch. It's like you take your time to lunch. You take your, like some pe people even have like breakfast in the office. So uh, uh, we're not that efficient in that aspect. I see. I see. Well, I guess we're maybe we're not all. None of us are that efficient. But I suppose, yeah, some people don't eat breakfast and they barely eat lunch at work because they eat at their desk a lot. So maybe yeah. it balances out. Exactly. I was lucky that my boss at that moment, the guy, well, he was like my mentor, and he also had like a family. So he wanted to be home early. So we started early and we, he will go home early and I will go home early. 
but it must be and doing something because Colombia is is number one booming now economically and two it's if i'm not mistaken and also it's becoming a, a very large startup hub in latin america right medellin is starting so uh, it's becoming a hub because they realize that investing in infrastructure and investing in companies will help with security issues which is it's a cool it's a cool thing like once they started investing in like infrastructure like having transportation for like poor people that didn't have any transportation it was really hard to transport from one place to another some things that will take them four hours now it takes them like 15 minutes or 20 minutes with the metro and with the like with everything so wait why why did they what was the link between proper transportation and it's funny it's 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 a psychological thing i guess uh, well there's like zones uh, in the city where they it will take them like four hours to go to the center of the city from their house to the center of the city will yeah, take them four hours time. because it, well medellin is a valley so it was it was tough to get out of like go down the mountain and go to the center Right. So what they they started like investing in like you know how these things they use for for in winter here what's the name of like gondolas what's the name of it like uh, gondola what the gondola yeah you know what it is and like a ski hill yeah like the, yeah exactly like the ones on ski hills hmm. well they use that for massive like for like for mass transportation so transporting people from it, the mountain to the city really quickly exactly exactly and what it would take them four hours now it takes them. 20 or 30 minutes and yeah, I wow. guess it gave access to the police to go fast there but it also gave them access to go for jobs in the city mm, that's and to actually change, go right? go to schools or go to university or to go uh, and nobody would expect it but it, it, it changed like like places you couldn't even visit now they are like it's full of tourists there and it's pretty safe to be there just because of that just because, just because of investment in infrastructure that's so such a, that's an interesting really, thing. Yeah. You change that one thing and it affects so many parts of people's lives in the economy. Exactly. And so when the city realized that and how how we it affect how effective it is, they decided to put like a whole plan like to for companies to start investing in innovation and like in start in, in promoting like startups to actually go to the city and trying to bring like startups from the US to the to Medellin because well it would be cheaper. Uh, so they created even like uh, there's one institution in Medellin called Ruta N, and their job is just that to uh, to com like to make company Medellin like a hub for entrepreneurship and innovation. Hmm. And all they do is that they they give you play uh, spaces there. They help you shape your company. They help you build your startup. They uh, they introduce you to investors. They introduce you to people in the U.S. They introduce you to people around the world. Right. So, so like a really active commerce. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. they do that with big companies and they do that with startups. Hmm. So uh, every big company in Medellin started to be interested in it. So they actually, that's why uh, I was lucky. My, the company that hired me was one of them and they decided to actually create their innovation department. And, and I was there when they started. And you built that. This is maybe a perfect spot to, to end part one. Thanks for inviting me and like, I'm still surprised that uh, I'm interesting enough to be in your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, more than interesting. More than interesting. We're gonna do a we're gonna do a round two. <laughs> 
Okay, thanks for joining us for that episode, everyone. As always, if you like the podcast, please share it with a friend. Otherwise, I'll catch you next time on the next episode of Rise and Shine. I'm out.